Um, let's turn to James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Simple little title, Real Religion. And isn't it the, the fake religion that is so obnoxious to the world? And it just hurts people inside the church. But real religion, it never does. And here we get a definition of what real religion looks like. There's going to be three main points that come out of verses 26 and 27. But in these two verses, James gives us somewhat of a, an outline of what he's talked about and what he's going to talk <coughs> about. Recurring themes. So the first thing we're going to talk about is having a controlled speech. He's talked about that in verses 19 and 20 already. But then in chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 12, we're going to talk about the tongue again. And then in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So it's kind of like a little snapshot here in verses 26 and 27 of some recurring themes. Um, he's going to talk about the need for us to show mercy. James 2, 1 through 13. So our next study is going to get into that. But then he'll come back to it again in verses 15 and 16, and then chapter 5, 1 through 6. And then he's going to talk about being set apart from this world in holiness, and we'll come back to that theme in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. So James is somewhat of a difficult book, I, I think, to, um, <coughs> to outline, but we do see these recurring themes. So this is what we're going to talk about. May the Lord stir our hearts to become devoted followers of his that I pray that today what God works in our hearts will bear fruit for as long as he should tarry. Long past maybe even what some of us live, that we will make such a difference with real religion in this world that it'll change the world. There's been those that have gone before us that have done a fantastic job, and we get to stand on the shoulders of faithful brothers and sisters in Christ that have done it well. Well, who are the next generations? Whose shoulders are they going to stand on? And I say, why not a group of people dedicated to following Jesus Christ today that are willing to step out and be a kingdom changers, right? For the kingdom of God. So we're going to talk about that. <clears throat> it's going to start out pretty close to home. We're talking about our speech. We're going to then talk about reaching the world with showing mercy and then come back home to talking about our holiness. So first point. Let's read verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Well, James doesn't really pull the punches here, does he? It's straightforward. And I would imagine, like, how many of you find James to be your favorite book? You don't have to read your hand. I'm just curious. I mean, like, okay. I thought there would have been actually a lot more hands that went up. Because I've had so many people say, James is my favorite book. I think one of the reasons why we like James, you don't have to really think about kind of dissecting it much. It just kind of hits you between the eyes. Hebrews, we had to work at that a little bit, didn't we? But not James. He's like, watch what you say. Okay, I got that. So real religion controls our communication. That's what real religion does. Now, what is meant by the use of the word religious? Because we often will say things like, well, it's about relationship, not religion. And that's true if it's a bad religion, if it's not a real religion. But <clears throat> the word actually places emphasis upon external ceremonies. It's the idea of you're going to the temple, you're bringing the lamb, you're bringing the bread, you're bringing the grain offering, you're bringing the drink offering, and it's the ceremonies. We're going to read about this. And, and that, those are the ceremonies. 
But the, the Lord says, well, that's so great to have those ceremonies. But if you miss this stuff, these three points, then it's not real. It's not useful. As a matter of fact, we're going to cross-reference in Isaiah, and God is going to say, keep it to yourself. I don't want your ceremonies if I don't get your heart. And so it'll be very clear as we move through to see the, the similar message from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Webster's defines a religious person as one who is pious, godly, loving, and reverencing the supreme being and obeying his precepts. So that's uh, the 1828 dictionary. You're not going to get that from today's. But when Noah Webster first wrote it, a Bible believer translated the scriptures. This is how he defined it. So we want to talk about real religion. And anyone who claims to have genuine religious experience must be willing to submit those claims to the test. And here's the test. I would imagine most of you would say, yeah, I've got real religion. Okay, then let's submit it to the test. And let's talk about this. James declares that a religious person will be able to control their speech and communication with others. Bridle here means to restrain or hold in check. We have the image of a, you know, a bit in the horse's mouth, a big beast, but can be controlled by this little piece of, of, of metal or substance in its mouth, and you can control where this animal is going to go most of the time. I have, used to have horses, and there were times where I did not control where that thing wanted to go. I got ran into mailboxes and all, you name it, but I was also treated my horse more like a uh, yeah, motorcycle than um, a, an animal, so I probably had it coming. But um, yeah, you, but mostly you could, you could control it. So for us, we need to be able to control this beast called our mouth. And, and we need to do that. How do we control that? But let's, let's talk about this first. There's great potential for, use, for us to use our speech for good, <coughs> But there's also potential to use it for wrong. Proverbs 10.19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. You want to be a wise person? Stop talking so much. That's what we say. Just like zip it and listen and contemplate what you're going to say before you open your mouth. It's a pretty easy test. You want to grow in wisdom? Talk less. Now, that doesn't mean don't communicate the gospel or speak an edifying word or even call somebody to correction, but they're foolish talking. Instruction from Scripture and our speech, it's, it's all over the place. David acknowledged that he needed to guard his speech. So in Psalm 39.1, he says, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle. He obviously had probably just had an experience where he's like, I should have just kept my mouth shut. I think all of us have felt like this, like, just shut up. We've all spoken this word. If you haven't, you need to learn to say that to yourself every now and then. Just be quiet. Quit talking. You're just making the situation worse. Paul exhorts us to only engage in constructive communication. So your mom was right. If you don't have anything nice to say, let's get, she's, she's, she's biblical. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. When my mouth starts to go into action, it should be a dispensing grace. 
It should be communicating edification, the necessary edification. What do I say? That's what you say. Then Paul, into the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 4, he warns what kind of speech should be bridled. This is not a complete list. And I read from the New Living Translation here. It says, obscene stories, <coughs> foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And you're like, well, gosh, if I, if I can't talk about any of those things, then what do I say? You just start being one that's thankful. And praise is coming from your mouth. That should already be there. Are you a thankful, praise-giving individual? Are you one that's quick to give glory to the Lord? We need to be. And I love this verse, 1 Peter 3.10. All of you write this down. Because this is... I, I think this may be an insight into why some of us don't have a blessed life. Here it is, 1 Peter 3.10. The scriptures say, if you want a happy life and good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and keep your lips from telling lies. When you speak evil and you tell lies, it does not result in a blessing. It, it turns into some of the most miserable moments of our lives. You get caught in a lie. You say something evil or wicked. You slander. You gossip. You know, coarse jesting. And it comes back. And now you've got to deal with that. And the relationship is broken. And it's, the friendship is, you know, uh, hanging by a thread because of our mouth and the things that we say. And, you know, sometimes we're surprised, right? I mean, you didn't even maybe mean it as evil. And you say things. I mean, my, my problem is I... I I don't know if it's a gift, but I can be. I I find sarcasm very easy. <laughs> I mean, it's just I can do it without thing. And I I can look back. I'm thinking on some times in my life when I said something that I and everybody in the room thought was funny, except for the person that had to endure my sarcasm, only to find out later, like a year later, that he didn't want to be around me for a year because I had so embarrassed him and hurt his feelings. And he told me, and I mean, I, I, I repented, and I feel bad to this day about it. Um, it wasn't really even, you know, a major thing, you know, but at the time in high school it was. I embarrassed him in front of a group of people. Um, but, you know, we've got to be careful with the things that we say. You want a happy life? You want good days? Then quit lying. Quit telling lies. Tell the truth. Speak the good things, the necessary edification. Don't don't speak about evil things. The inability to control your speech reveals that your, your religion is empty. It's not, those are not my words. It's, it's right there in front of you. It's not a difficult passage to translate. <clears throat> but Jesus said something very similar to this, didn't he? Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37. And in this, he says that... You know, uh, speech that is not controlled is a snapshot of your heart. When, you, when your mouth starts to talk, we're getting a picture. We're getting like the, the, you know, this slideshow of what's going on in your heart. It's either beautiful or it's not. Brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak good things? <clears throat> For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth <clears throat> good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. 
But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, what's that next line? They will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It is no small deal, as you can see in James, as you can see here, what we say and how we say it. But a common excuse we give for our unbridled speech is, I just can't help myself. I'm just like that. I just, whatever I say comes to my mind. Well, here's some advice for you. Stop it. (laughs) Don't do that anymore. Bridle your tongue. Muzzle your mouth. Right? Be silent and be wise. We need to stop hurting people. It's a condemning admission to make a statement like that because it says that God doesn't have control of my heart yet. Can you, do you see that connection? We're like, well, I just can't help myself. I say whatever I want. That's because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth is speaking. And you know, if you're a good person and you're always talking, saying nice things, then you can't control yourself there either. It's just what is going to come out. So let's bridle our tongue. Now listen, (laughs) he says, look at the end of verse 26. He says, this one's religion is useless. Matthios is the Greek word here. It means idle, empty, fruitless, useless, powerless, lacking truth. These are all ways in which the word could be translated. And, and so it's pretty straightforward here. But what's interesting about this is if, if James maybe isn't trying to shock our senses and saying those who, whose religion does not impact their speech is no better than an idol worshiper. Now why would I say that? Because this word that he uses is often used in association with idolatry. I'm not going to go into the verses, but if you're taking notes... Here you go, Acts 14, 15, Romans 1, 21, Ephesians 4, 17. Acts 14, 15, Romans 1, 21, Ephesians 4, 17. And the, this same word is used around idolatry. How useful is idolatry? It's not, it's useless. How useful is a person who's drawing near to God in ceremony, but their speech is unchanged? Well, it's just like the idol worshiper, it's useless. And this is not just borne out in the New Testament. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the same thing is communicated. Uselessness and idolatry are associated. And so it's interesting that he picks up on this word that is so often used in this way. I think he's trying to shock our senses. I think he's trying to get us to see the severity of what we're doing. And And if you think, well, I don't know about that, that seems a little like a far reach. Oh, just wait. Wait till we read some passages in the Old Testament. So we'll stop right there and and just say, real religion is going to impact how I speak. And if you're like, but my speech is is all messed up, then you got to affect your heart. It's a heart change that has to take place. Secondly, verse 27, we see that real religion shows mercy. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And notice that it is before God and the Father. It's not before me. It's not before you. 
It's not your standards or their standard or our standards. The standards are God's standards. This is what pure religion is. This is what undefiled religion is. And we must use that as the standard. Those that have been born again bear the image of their heavenly father. And we, therefore, must walk and live like him. Jesus said people would know us because of our love, our care, the mercy that we have. Read 1 John <coughs> on this subject. And you know what you find is that this exhortation to, keep, to take care of the widow and the orphan, um, it, it's all throughout Scripture. Even in the early church, Acts chapter 6, the widows were not getting a fair distribution of food, so they brought people in to oversee this. But did you catch that? The early church, the beginning church, they were caring for the widows. Probably because their families said, if you're going to be a Jesus follower, we're done with you. Probably because in the nation of Israel, if you're going to follow that antichrist Jesus, we want nothing to do with you. And so the church had to step up, and they did. But it wasn't just there in 1 Timothy 5, verses 3 through 16. He gives instructions for how the church should care for the widows, those that are in a place of need. And it wasn't just open up the doors and throw money out the window. There, I mean, you read through that passage, 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16. There, they were called to be involved in the work of ministry and prayer. Um, and then they were, could go onto the role to be taken care of. So we see this in the New Testament. The Old Testament is quite clear of God's expectations that mercy would be extended to the widow, the fatherless, and the stranger. The stranger? Yeah. The foreigner. The foreigner? Yeah. The immigrant? Oh. Now listen. Now we're talking about something that probably gets, we can have a lot of passion about this. <clears throat> well, I don't think we should have those borders open. I think we should. Okay. Let's just forget that point for a moment. If you come across a stranger or foreigner or an immigrant in your walk, we are to be caring for them. Well, they shouldn't have come. Yeah, well, you can take that up with the Lord because he has commanded us to care for them. Now, I personally think I don't like the way the border is, but that doesn't affect my interaction with an individual where my, my life touches them. So I may have a political view of how things ought to go, but I have a commandment from God about how I'm to deal with the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. So maybe that touches your heart just a little bit there. But here, let's hear God's heart. Deuteronomy 10.18, he administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. That's the heart of the Lord. And how is he going to do that? Is he going to come down in a chariot from heaven with a food basket and find him and say, oh, you know, here you go? He's going to use you. He's going to use me. Psalm 68.5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy, is God in his holy habitation. I mean, in his most majestic setting, this is what he is doing. And if we are made in the image of God and recreated in the image of God, then this is who we are. There are three major reasons why God judged Israel. And you can see this from any minor prophet and of any of the major prophets. You can even find it in the law. Three reasons why God judged Israel. They broke the covenant. They worshiped idols. 
and they oppressed the fatherless, the widow, and the stranger. And you see this over and over again. Turn with me to Isaiah. I don't have this one for you, so you're going to have to actually turn there. Isaiah, Old Testament. If you need help, ask your neighbor. Isaiah chapter 1. I want you to, I mean, again, you think what James says is hard. Wait, wait till you hear what God says through the prophet Isaiah. <clears throat> He's writing to Israel there in Jerusalem. And he says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of the Lord our God, you people of Gomorrah. That's a rebuke. To what purpose is a multitude of your sacrifices to me? Oh, their religion, their ceremonies. And he lists them. He says, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile, useless sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the callings of assembly. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Okay, why? These are all things that God has commanded them to do. They're going through the ceremonies. So what's the problem? What's wrong with the religion? Oh, let's look. He says, your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Wow. Can it get any clearer? God says, I don't care if you do everything I've told you to do. If you don't have love for people, I don't want you to come in front of me and lift up your hands like you got it all together and to be making that sweet-smelling aroma that actually has become a noxious fume in my court. Stay out. Get it right. And then come back. He looked at the way they were being treated, and he, the, the widows, the fatherless, the needy, and he says, this is not right. He says, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor. It's positive and negative. <clears throat> You're seeking to, put, you know, to give to people what they, they need to, to show this kind of justice that they're not being taken advantage of, but then it's negative because then you've got to rebuke the oppressor, and that's where it gets scary. If you want to stand up against those that are mistreating the widows or the orphans or the unborn children or an immigrant or whatever that person may be, you know that, then now it gets to be a little scary because if they are being oppressed and you rebuke the oppressor, you've just stood in front of the oppressed, which means the potentiality of you being attacked has just gone way up. So the question is, do we have any takers? Are you willing to do that? You know, here's some false narratives that happen, is that the church is the one that's responsible for slavery in this country. 
The church did not do all she should have done as fast as she should have done it. I will give you that. However, if you want to find out why slavery was overthrown in England and in this country, you look no further than godly Christian men and women that loved Jesus and saw the way their fellow mankind was being treated and saying, this is one made in the image of God. This is wrong. It was Christians who stood up and they stood in the line of fire and they rebuked the oppressor. If, and listen, this is a false narrative that's going through our culture. And I'll give you a website. It's called Jesus Skeptic dot com or org and you can go click under categories and click on slavery and it'll give you a long list of names one of those names like William Wilberforce and there are many others that walked this out and they stood up did it take too long yeah it took too long were there some that were preaching on Sundays and then you know taking kidnapped people and then using them in their fields and even for ministry yeah shameful but the Bible speaks against this. Kidnapping is wrong. So, but this idea is like there was a group of people that stood up and had the guts to say, I know what my God says about needy people, and this is wrong. And they stood in the line of fire. They rebuked the oppressor. Now we can all stand back now and say, hey, it's good that they did. But what's the, what's the need in our generation? Where, who's the being oppressed now? And this is where I really pray that God will make some world changers here that will rise up for the oppressed, that will rise up for the fatherless, that will rise up and, and have a vision to help those that are brokenhearted. And I know many of you do. Many of you are engaged in ministries just like this. But why not more? The history of the church, while full of mistakes and errors, has also been a beacon of mercy. The YMCA, started by a follower of Jesus Christ because he couldn't stand seeing men on the streets of London sleeping there overnight. <laughs> the American Red Cross, a Christian nurse during the Civil War, started that organization. The Goodwill, Samaritan's Purse, Compassion International, Salvation Army, just a few of the many organizations that have been established by believers. And even the United Way um, started in by one Christian and rabbis <clears throat> and some priests. And, you know, a little different, those that I gave you first, those all were like Jesus on fire followers that saw needy people and they moved into action. And, and, and so we see these things today. Some of them I mentioned are, are relatively new. But maybe God wants to stir that up in your heart. And maybe it's not to start an organization, but it's to use your skills, it's to use your company to help people. To, to help those in our community. Listen, we, we need to see and we need to move into action. Are there people that want to take advantage? Yes, there are. Don't give to them. But don't be so careful that everybody falls into that category. That's a word for Troy. I don't want to be taken advantage of. I mean, that's just like, I don't want to be made a fool of. But you know, I've got to get over that. Because if I, I'm so worried about never being taken advantage of, I might actually miss the opportunity to help people. And so I've got to be careful of that in my own heart, in my life. So I'm not just speaking to you, I'm speaking to me too. One other passage uh, on this point, Jeremiah 7, verses 1 through 6. Just so you can feel the weight, feel the weight of what God is saying on this subject. It says the Lord, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this time. <coughs> 
The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, go to the entrance of the Lord's temple and give this message to the people. O Judah, listen to this message from the Lord. Listen to it, all of you who worship here. This is what the Lord of heaven's army, the God of Israel says. Even now, if you'll quit your evil ways, so the question is, what are those evil ways? He says, if you do this, I will let you stay in your own land. Don't be fooled by those who promise you safety because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, the Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. But I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice. Only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. Only if you stop murdering. And only if you stop harming yourselves by worshiping idols. Guess what? They didn't stay in their land. They were, they were removed. This is for us to hear the commitment that God has to care for the widow and to care for the orphan. May we not overlook this. May God raise some of you up. May he birth a vision and a burden in your heart today. But here's what we often see. It's like we're all for um, justice, social justice, all for helping out those that are in need. But you know what? We don't want Jesus to be a part of that. And we don't want our, you know, our, our faith and our, our um, holiness and our purity. We don't want that to be a part of that. But is that real religion? Real religion is that we bridle our tongue. Real religion is that we're merciful. But what else is real religion? Look at your verse, verse 27. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's both. The men and women who started these organizations, they were Jesus followers and they looked to show the compassion and mercy of Jesus and they weren't afraid to use his name. And they spoke of him and they, they walked up proudly. But it seems like today within the church, it's like, well, I'm either for justice or I'm for the gospel. Enough of that nonsense. Let's just embrace justice and the gospel and walk in holiness and purity. This is not complicated math. This is easy stuff. We, we walk in holiness and we help those that are in need. So real religion is clean. And I hope that's what is in your life. Let me read you this quote from Douglas Moo. He says, to keep oneself unstained from the world means to avoid thinking and acting in accordance with the value system of the society around us. The society reflects, by and large, beliefs and practices that are unchristian, if not actively anti-Christian. The believer who lives in the world is in constant danger of having the taint of that system rub off on him. Boy, isn't that true. There's not one of us in here who doesn't feel that stuff trying to rub off on us. An attitude that begins to get developed, a, a speech that we begin to talk. I mean, we live in such a time where everybody's angry and yelling and screaming and throwing these verbal bombs at each other. And it's easy to feel that we begin, that's how we communicate. No, it's not how we communicate. Not real religious people. Consider the process of compromise, and I'm wrapping it up here. Consider this compromise, uh, this process of compromise. Four stages to it. As you feel the pull of the world, this is what it's going to look like. It begins with friendship with the world. James 4, 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
<coughs> Whoever wants, therefore, to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I just, we're just going to be friends. That's all. It's just, I just have a friendly relationship with the world. But it goes from friendship into a love for the world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh. I want to go please my, my, my desires. The lust of the eyes. I want to get more stuff. The pride of life. I want to have a great name. It is not of the Father, but is of the world. All the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So it starts out with friendship, and then we start to love it. And then we begin to be conformed by it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm just going to read verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So friendship, then love. Now I'm actually being changed by the world. My speech, my attitude, my, my, uh, my purity. And then finally, we are left to be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So alignment with the world is not right. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. You and I, we, the church of Jesus Christ, we are, the metaphor, the imagery is that of being the bride of Christ. I've <clears throat> done a lot of weddings, love doing weddings. And every wedding I've ever done, I've always seen the utmost care uh, by the bride and her entourage to make certain that she looks beautiful. And, you know, if you, you would never hear this story. She's all dressed. Let's say she gets dressed at home. She's in the car. She even does that. She's in the car and she says, hey, by the way, let's stop at Chipotle. I want a barbacoa burrito. Extra salsa, please. And just start eating that thing, blow out at the bottom of the burrito, all over her dress. Ah, it doesn't matter. He loves me no matter what. She would never think, like, yeah, she, he loves her. And the, the ceremony would still go on. But I guarantee you, if Rebecca would have come down with a big old, you know, barbacoa burrito stain, I would have been like, what happened? I said, we still got married. I mean, that's not a problem. But... We are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And I, I think we need to live like brides that have the righteous garments of, of God and salvation upon us. And then I want to be clean. Do you, do you want to be unspotted? I mean, honestly, ask yourself, is it even in your mind? I want to keep the grime of this world, the attitudes, the speech, you know, the anger, the hatred, you know, the goals the materialism, I don't want that on me. I want to be pure. I want to be unspotted from this world because <clears throat> that's what the Lord wants. So, real religion, it controls your speech. It controls your mercy. And it controls your desire to be clean and pure before the Lord. That's real religion. The church has been hurt enough by hypocritical religion. And the world... You know, they may never want to come in and be a part, but they hate hypocrisy within the church. They hate it, and they're quick to jump on it. And so, listen, hypocrisy is not sinning, missing the mark, admitting it, getting up, and moving on. That's called being a human being. That's a work in the process. Hypocrisy is, 
you do it and you keep on acting as if nothing's going on. That's what God can't stand. <coughs> that's, <coughs> that's what God rebukes. When, the, when that one publican was beating his chest and saying, oh God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Did the Lord call him a hypocrite? And I said, this one went home justified. But who was the one that was not, did not go home justified? It was the one that said, <coughs> I'm glad I'm not like him. The ceremonies were down, but the heart was not right. Where are you this morning in these three areas of your life? Let's pray. Father, we look to you. We want what you want. We confess that real religion is what you deserve, Lord. You deserve to have people <clears throat> whose hearts are so changed by you that we can't help but to say the right things, to be kind and loving and generous with our words. Help us to set aside critical speech, harsh words. May we learn gentleness, Lord, meekness in our speech. Lord, may we learn to care for the needy. May we not allow our disappointment with our government leaders for not taking care of our borders to relate to walking past a man or a woman in need. Lord, may we see the need. May we be touched. Break the crust off of our heart right now. Let us feel what they feel. And let us point them to you as we help them out in a tangible way. And Lord, we count it an honor to be pure because to be pure, to be holy, is to be like you. We can think of nothing greater than being people who look like your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.